Welcome to Bird Camp Podcast. This is a show dedicated to the pursuit and promotion of upland birds, specifically the rough grouse. So if you like sitting around a campfire with your favorite bird dog and two brothers from Michigan who love talking about upland hunting, this podcast is for you. So let's put another log on the fire and start the show. This is Bird Camp. today's episode of bird camp this podcast we're gonna promote a special contest you won't want to miss after that we're gonna interview kyle warren from paint river low islands followed by ron mcneil from big smokes barbecue Mmm, barbecue sit back put another log on the fire let's get it out All right, welcome to Bird Camp. We're filming this February 1st, 2021. We're not filming, but we are filming. We're we recording. Are. We're recording. Recording and, and recording. Yeah. So we're going to talk about a new promotion we're going to try. It's on our Patreon site. Yeah, the Patreon site is set up um, for Bird Camp into four levels. Uh, the first level is named Sherpa, and that's $3 a month. And $3 a month Get you the general support, knife contest entry, and the Patreon shout-out. Let's just talk about our knife contest. So we're going to give away a knife. Not that one. That one's mine. We're going to give away Kevin's knife. No, we're (laughs) we're actually commissioning Bark River Knives to uh, design a knife, and we're going to give that away on opening day, September Mm -hmm. 15-ish of this coming year. But in order to be in the contest, you have to be one of our Patreons. Even at that level that Kevin just mentioned. There's different levels. But Sherpa, three bucks a month, they'll give you additional stuff, additional content. Plus, you'll be entered in the contest. Yep. And there are three other levels of the Patreon. But and it, it's important to the knife giveaway, too, because the Covey is the second level. Gives you the Patreon shout-out. Bird Camp sticker, general support in the knife contest. When you go up to the $10 a month level, which is Bird Dog, that gets you a gun cleaning Bird Camp towel. I haven't even got one of those yet. It's because uh, you're not a Patreon. Uh, no, I'm not. Um, I've got a bunch of coins rolled up. <laughs> Bird Camp sticker, general support, mention a gratitude supporter, and then knife camp. Now, if you go to our highest level, which is the guide, that's 15 dollars a month you get everything in there the bird camp towel the bird camp sticker um general support the knife contest you get two entries in. two entries for 15 two entries yep. for 15 dollars a month but you also get a t-shirt and then a sweatshirt after being on there consecutive times so you just don't steal that stuff from us right right and i think that's a great deal right there because uh, the bark river knife is going to be a classic great knife we haven't worked out all the details yet no it's going to be sweet though and uh we're we're hoping without having worked out the details yet we can get 
the Burkamp logo either on the sheath or on the knife. And um, we're probably going to have to purchase a few of those because my knife you addiction. you going to want one? Yeah, my knife addiction is going to mean I need one. So, But then it's not limited if we have more than one. Yeah, well, it's limited to two. <laughs> <laughs> or three. Three. <laughs> so you can go through our website, but... Uh, just go down to Patreon, it's P-A-T-R-E-A-O-N, and then it's forward slash bird camp, all one word, no space in there, and then you'll find our, our Patreon site, and that's how you uh, get into this contest. But we also have another promotion in February, which starts today, that you'll get a free koozie. Um, the koozies are Hunter Orange, and it says bird camp with our logo on there. Keep your favorite brevage cool. Is that for every new Patreon member? In February. In February. We'll do another promo in March. 28 days. Yep. Yeah, it's not leap year this year, right? It is. Oh, 29 days. So you have 29 days. No, 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 it's not. I'm sorry. 28 days. I don't know. Um, any new Patreon can get a free koozie. So that's our uh, little promo on our knife contest. So join us at Patreon and help support this website. I mean, this podcast. <laughs> this podcast. That's a maniacal laugh. That was hilarious. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're out. We're joined today on the Bird Camp Podcast by Kyle Warren from Paint River Llewellyn's. Did I get that right, Kyle? Uh, yes, you did. And uh, my understanding is you're... Uh, you're an adoptive youper now. I am. Uh, I, you know, the, uh, the definition of youper, I guess, depends on which youper you ask. Um, but uh, at, at minimum, an honorary one that, that lives here full time. Uh, very blessed to have finally, um, over my near decade of coming here and spending the season here, uh, moving uh, our whole operation and the family here uh, last summer. So, uh, we're we're thrilled to be here in Michigan full time. Have they fully welcomed you into the Uper culture? <laughs> I, I, I left. Well, at, I left. Good. I left after high school, and I I joked they kicked me out because I didn't ice fish and deer hunt. And so uh, I was uh, that weird bird hunter in school. So they they asked me to leave, and I've not made it back yet. But yeah, yeah. Well, I um uh yeah, I'm that weird bird hunter too. I I uh well um. At some point, I hope to get into other outdoor Michigan uh, activities such as uh, deer hunting and ice fishing. Um, uh, the, the dogs do consume uh, a, a lot of my time, even uh, even when it's not hunting season. So uh, we're just uh, really happy to to be up here. It's uh, certainly um, uh, for any outdoorsman. It's uh, it's a great place to be. Great. Well, we call our listeners uh, the Covey, so welcome to our Covey. We'll uh, throw another Thank you. Uh, log on the fire and uh, can use the fire. I bet you it's cold up there today. It's cold here in lower Michigan. So Yeah, it's cool. I mean, I, 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 gotta, I have to admit, I mean, I've, I've been out here uh, to my place many times in the winter in years past, and uh, I think we're having what they're referring to as like a 30 year historic low in regards to abnormally higher temperatures and low snow amounts. I mean, you know, we've had, uh, interestingly, we've had snow on the ground with the exception of about five days in the beginning of November, uh, snow on the ground since like October 15th. 
Um, but between the sun and the temps going up and down, we really haven't had any more than a foot of snow on the ground, which is pretty unusual for, for this neck of the woods. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. One, one thing we uh, ask our guests, and we've had some people on especially, is a uh, first bird story. Uh, do, you, do you remember your first bird? And it was, Oh, yeah. It was, tell us the story, oh, Kyle. Yeah, sure. Um, first bird story. Well, uh, I guess it would be uh, New York. You know, uh, you can you can hunt small game um, uh, with an adult uh, when you're 12 years old. Um, I had, uh, uh, you know, been out with my father uh, before that, but we belong to um, uh, a small bird dog club um, that uh, there are about 20 guys and um, it was uh, actually a, a large pig farm that uh, had a thousand acres on it. And, and uh, the bird club um, leased the land for, for uh, 12 weeks out of the season. And uh, also um, a place there where I, I really uh, got into uh, uh, rough grouse. Uh, but we, were, we released chuckers and pheasants. And for my 12th birthday, my father had gotten me uh, uh, a 20-gauge uh, Ithaca pump uh, feather light. Um, that nice was a little, too, little, little, little too long for me, uh, in the, in the, in the butt of the gun there. But, uh, yeah, I'll never, we had a German short haired pointer, Jesse. That's what, that's who got me kind of into everything. I had an aunt that bred short hairs for many years. And, um, that was our, our first bird dog, uh, that we had that we got when we were, t- when I was 10 years old and my, my dad and I trained it, um, uh, best we could anyhow. And she was natural. It was a lot of fun. And, uh, so we would go and pick up these birds from the bird farms and, you know, get out there in the fields at like 4am and, uh, drive around on the ATV and put the birds out. And, uh, it was probably, I don't know. Uh, we had been hunting with Jesse now for, uh, uh, two years and, uh, I was finally able to carry a gun. And, uh, so I was really excited and probably it was the, I don't know, sixth, seventh, eighth time, something like that. Uh, we were out that season and, uh, I finally had a shot opportunity and, you know, as a kid, you know, and you know, everything, you know, is, uh, always longer, farther, bigger, you know, when you're, you know, thinking back, uh, maybe as even an, an adult, <laughs> when you're telling these fun <laughs> stories, um, you know, it was, uh, the dog, we were on a logging trail and, uh, uh, we were in the Casco mountains in upstate New York and, uh, you know, hilly classic farm terrain. And the dog was below us like 30 yards locked on point. And, um, you know, my dad points down the hill and there's, there's Jesse on point. I kind of turn, you know, we're standing side by side, my father and I, and all of a sudden this big, uh, uh, rooster comes up and angle hooks back away from us, um, going, uh, the opposite direction. And, I'm sure it was probably only like a 30 or 40 yard shot, but it felt like a 60 yard shot, you know, that I, I hit that bird and, uh, our, our dog at the time was a good retriever and she ran over, got that, got that pheasant and brought it back to me. And, uh, you know, that was certainly my, uh, on top of the world moment, um, that's excellent that, that I had. And, and I was, I was hooked after that and, and throughout the course of that hunting season, you know, that we had there, that was pretty much exclusively where we hunted. Um, you know, we'd have a tally, you know, we'd release, you know, 50 pheasants, 30 chuckers, you know, and we had this little spreadsheet of, you know, you know, calm for everybody that was there, you know, hunting. And then, you know, a row, you know, across the top of, uh, 
you know, the birds uh, that are there. And so we'd also have a list for, you know, woodcock and grouse on that list. And, you know, if we put out 50 birds, you know, for the weekend, you know, or 80 birds, whatever the number was, you know, <laughs> almost all of them were were uh, harvested. Um, and you'd, you'd see like grouse flushes, but never birds bags, you know, under the grouse, you know. So um, we, you know, we get into different pockets of them there. And uh, I was just always amazed at their, um, their stealth, their agility, obviously, especially compared to the birds we were putting out. But, um, you know, and how few people actually harvest a bird, harvested a bird. And I, I never forget this one guy that had a pair of shore hairs on a furniture store locally uh, close to where we had lived. And we were like an hour from this place that we would go. Uh, that was the first rough grouse that I actually ever like saw in the hand, you know, and I had probably seen, you know, a hundred of them flush, you know, and, you know, we shoot and we miss and, uh, uh, you know, and I just never saw one before that. And I was, I was, uh, just mesmerized, you know, as many of us are when we, you know, uh, whether it's your first grouse or the last one you shot this season, you know, they're just, uh, they're a bird to admire and respect. And, uh, you know, I was, I became a grouse junkie pretty pretty quickly early on, you know. Uh, yeah, as a, it, it, as, as a twelve year old when I first saw that first bird, you know, it tends to grab you when it grabs it sure you. Does. I, we won't reiterate the story, but my brother's story was pretty incredible. Incredible shot on his first bird. Man, I was what twenty three at the time. Yeah, he was twenty three, and it was a sharp tail, and he dropped it from seventy one yards with one pellet right in the eye his lucky shot. yeah i was just turning we've already told the story on our podcast but i was just turned to say what the and i out the corner of my yeah. eye the bird went straight up and straight down it's like i yeah. started counting you know i got out 71 steps and i was like that that's unreal you'll never do that again in your yeah, life he's no. going, sure and sure, but you and could I, see it in my brother's eyes he was hooked that second yeah that was know. it uh-huh. that was all in after that that was with a single shot savage yeah yeah, yeah no i think oh, my arms sorry. up in the air when i shot that pheasant like i won the super bowl you know it was uh <laughs> yeah, it, was, I know. Uh, it <laughs> was a good feeling you know and i'm sure what every what every dad that takes his kid out hunting hopes to see you know so. you, you almost want to do the tom brady thing i'm going to disney world <laughs> yeah <laughs> i right, got a bird right. you mean patrick mahoney patrick mahoney I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, so how did you get into the dog breeding? It seems to be a natural follow-up to that point. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was, uh, I mean, I had just a, I had a wonderful childhood in, in regards to my animal exposure. Uh, um, yeah, as I mentioned, our short hair had, had come from uh, one of my aunts that uh, she was a pro breeder. She actually also bred uh, working line German shepherds from Germany and, uh, I had another one of my aunts that bred standard rough coat collies and then another one of my aunts that was into toy breeds like uh, Yorkshire Terriers. Um, so I was always around the dog breeding element. Uh, uh, I had lots of dogs to get my hands on and to work with, you know, as a young child. Um, once we got our short hair, you know, and I had a dog, we always had dogs, but that was like the first dog that we really did any utility type oriented stuff with. And um uh, it just, uh, became a passion. I was the kid that ended up, uh, you know, training sheltered dogs, training everybody in the neighborhood's dogs, uh, you know, for free and, uh, trained my teacher's dogs, you know, uh, grade school and, and high school. Um, and, uh, uh, when I was, uh, we had a small farm, both sets of my grandparents, uh, were on the road that I grew up on. My mother's parents lived next door and my father's parents that had a small farm, uh, we're, uh, just like a third of a mile down the road. So, you know, I had 
family around there and we were always a dog family but um uh we had a few cows pigs and chickens and uh i was 15 my my mother had passed away and we kind of needed to switch gears and um uh you know started to make some money from his passion a bit so we converted we got rid of our livestock and poultry and we converted the uh our small barn into a dog kennel so i had a handful of dog kennels in there and um was you know going to high school i played sports but i had a handful of dogs in the kennel and uh just kind of took off from there as you know i lived in the same place my whole life so you know everybody gets to know you we wasn't in the smallest town but not in the biggest town either um and then uh you know i was 18 graduated high school living in the apartment downstairs in the house and you know 13 dogs in the kennel all the time and our property was small we only had a few acres in this little barn right behind the house and my dad was like, hey, you got to take this show on the road. This is, uh, you know, we're out of room here. This is great. This is, this is phenomenal. But uh, uh, this, is, this is a little different over, you know, a couple of years' time. And so I transitioned from, like, taking dogs in for training um, uh, for, like, six, eight-week periods of time. The owners would come to me once a week, you know, in the community to work with their dogs. And the dog would go home. And, and we have some follow-up sessions here and there, too. Uh, once I had graduated high school, um, I had also worked part-time uh, for a few years in emergency and private veterinary practices as a tech. Um, so I kind of gained that that knowledge there. And uh, the ant that um, bred the shore hares and shepherds also owned two pet food and supply stores. So that that became uh, you know another added benefit to knowledge base for dogs and uh, and life with them. But yeah. I, graduated high school and got into um uh uh more diversified uh training at that point um you know i started off with you know just basic obedience and bird dog stuff i'm you know fly pigeons my grandfather my great-grandfather uh flew pigeons my grandfather that lived next door to us he was a pigeon flyer you know came from brooklyn you know and so we used the pigeons to train the bird dogs and we had ample ample space uh um on the mountain um to uh to work the dogs and uh fields and farm stuff so so it was a lot of fun and uh it just kept uh snowballing and over the years um uh i uh you know just kept uh getting immersed in more diversified aspects of training from basic advanced obedience to upland hunting and waterfowl work um uh, uh rehab aggressive dogs unfortunately that became a local claim to fame uh taking the, the dogs that nobody else wanted to work with and you know when it's your livelihood you gotta you gotta you gotta be uh and you're early on in your career you gotta you can't be too selective as to who you who you're gonna take in you know um and then uh my 20s i mid mid late 20s i i got into search and rescue with uh canines and i i actually um uh bred them for a decade while in tandem i had uh my llewellyn setters and my program that i was starting out uh, from my early 20s with them uh and it just kept evolving um you know had my uh dog training career for you know 24 plus years professionally doing it now and uh nine years ago i bought my place in the up uh my camp properties uh, and i would come out here and spend time here um uh, and then I would go back and hunt late season in New York, um, and have my 30 to 40 private lessons, uh, every week. And once I bought my 
my place out here back in uh, 2012. Um, I knew after I had, after the first week of hunting here, um, here in Wisconsin, and I, back then I was venturing over Minnesota more as well, I, I knew I had to live here. <laughs> I, couldn't, I, I couldn't not live here. Yeah, you, so you, became, you fell into the Uper trap. People, yeah, people come yeah. up to hunt or vacation. They go, "I'm not leaving." Yeah, it's it's funny. I uh, I never, um, I just never, I never been, I never been here. You know, you know, I read about you know the UP, you know, and the magic of the UP, uh, you know, in the Pointing Dog Journal when I was a kid. You know, and um, all the birds and the abundance of wildlife and all that, all the stuff that we love as outdoors people. And and New York State's a great state. I love New York. You know, there's a lot of it's not it's not really an outdoorsman friendly state when we compare it to our state here um but i again i was very fortunate with where where i lived and uh the land that my family had and you know so i i had a wonderful childhood um uh there and, and outdoor life but as uh once i got this place out here and i had had uh llewellyn's already for um eight years at that point and had a few litters, um, uh, and uh, I got this place, and I decided that um, uh, I would love nothing more than to take my whole, you know, dog training career and the bird dogs that ignited that passion to move out here and uh, work towards just being able to um, preserve, protect, and create um, the type of grouse dog that I've hunted over my whole life and, uh, uh you know, really, um, uh, be where, where you can make grouse dogs. Um, so that's great. With that in, yeah. With that in mind, I, uh, continued to, um, uh, seek out the dogs that suited me and, you know, strict selection has brought us to where we are today. And, uh, no, where, uh, where, where you're at in a chapter of your life. Cause I always look at life as a chapter of books. Absolutely. Um, Paint River Lou Allens, are you, you're pretty much strictly Lou Allens now? Yeah. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm pretty much, uh, strictly, I mean, I, where I've, you know, worked with, uh, dozens and dozens of breeds and thousands of dogs. Um, I've, I've cultivated my lifestyle, you know, where, um, you know, you work, <laughs> you work real hard and you, you get to where you want to where, you know, you get to be land, you know, cash core and land rich or you know, we say it the other way around, you know, land rich and cash poor. But, uh, you know, we're in a comfortable a comfortable place in the middle of nowhere now with the dogs that I want to have. And, you know, I have my breeding program. Um, uh, you know, we have a handful, you know, or, or more sometimes, depending upon the breeding season, pups a year. And the dogs come back to me. Uh, you know, I get my clients. They bring their dogs back for early development. Um so I'll get those dogs in for training. I do a handful of started dogs every year. Uh, I do uh, one or two uh, grouse dog workshops um, where people uh, also that don't have my dogs come back. Uh, certainly, um, you know, uh, the Llewellyn community um, and grouse dogs at large within that, um, you know, are, are predominantly uh, who comes to me at this point. But I've uh, I've been very fortunate to um, be able to get to this this point where uh it's kind of my own dogs and and uh some some select others within that's, our Llewellyn community that's great let me ask you this on the paint river Llewellyn's uh, social media your tagline is easy soft intelligent driven and all natural on wild birds pretty self-explanatory but a lot of our our uh, podcast audience 
don't have dogs or looking at dogs, explain sure. what, if you would, for the uninitiated, explain what easy and soft means. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so as a, being a career trainer and a breeder, um, you know, there's, and there's many of us that do both, you know, um, we, uh, we know what we like, we know what we don't like. And, and, uh, for me, you know, uh, you know, I, I've certainly seen the best grouse dogs and the worst grouse dogs in, in every breed out there. And that includes, you know, Llewellyn's, uh, you know, there's, there's good ones and there's bad ones and, you know, good breeders do everything we can to create the highest level of consistency, uh, for what we want in terms of type. And what I like in terms of type, um, uh, you know, I've, I've personally owned besides the Llewellyn's I've had Vishla's I've had Britney's, um, I've had, uh, I've had short hairs. And I've trained a lot of different dogs. And while we can get a spectrum of personality types within each breed, um, you know, certainly our, uh, as breeders, we, we select what we want. And for me, um, the, the softness aspect is, is really important. Um, you know, if, I, if we think of every personality trait um, as having a, like a, a yin and a yang or a spectrum, um, when I think of the uh, spectrum, you know, you know, when we're talking softness, I would, I would kind of say that's the, you know, one end is, is, uh, super soft and the other side is, you know, super hard headed, you know, and, and, uh, you know, maybe less, uh, more stubborn. Oh, I see. Uh, and, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, these guys, repetition is minimal. Um, the short hair that we have with, I grew up with Jesse, um, she was a phenomenal natural hunter. Um, she stuck birds. My father and I didn't know anything about training dogs and, you know, the dogs survived us just fine. Um, you know, the, the softer dogs might not be as forgiving, um, in, uh, poor training practices as the, uh, harder headed dogs. But if, uh, if you raise a soft dog, right. And you're looking at the type of dog that I, that I like, they're really a minimal repetition, uh, uh, dog, uh, for me, you know, I, I, I'll never forget when, uh, you know, to, to further that idea, you know, um, uh, there are dogs that they can have all the drive in the world and still be soft, you know, um, they can have all the drive in the world, you know, and have, a uh, an armor shield around their brain <laughs> that you got to penetrate. Too. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the dogs that are, you know, softer are usually more cooperative, you know, um, and soft doesn't have to be a bad trait. I, again, I, I interpret it as a good trait, but your softer dogs, um, you know, might be a little less forgiving. Like I said, if, if there's a, yeah, that makes sense. a lesser, lesser thing, you know, but intelligence, um, you know, uh, intelligence is a paramount trait for me. Um, you know, a smart dog can learn anything. And when we're, after all, we are, we're going to say that we're breeding dogs that are only, you know, uh, in the eyes of whatever the breeder standard is, um, uh, for breeding quality, you know, we're, we're only breeding these, you know, top notch breeding quality dogs. Um, and you know, with that are almost always going to come intelligence as a paramount, uh, paramount trait, but intelligence, cooperation, um, and, uh, you know, uh, nose is on the list, but, well, with our yeah. with our big hunting group, Kyle, I have found intelligence in dogs is imperative because 
dang, some of the guys in our group aren't that smart. I'm just saying. <laughs> and I'm, <laughs> you know, the, you know, there's a. I always get to ask that question as a trainer. You know, my clients over the years. You know, as how you know how smart is my kid? You know how you know how smart is my dog? And you know, usually the, the my my response is always the same with the material that we're teaching the dog. You're smart enough. You know, yeah. you don't necessarily need an Einstein uh, dog and sometimes the smartest dogs aren't always the best students but um, you know when we when we look at intelligence you know and and especially the the bird that we hunt um, you know there's uh, there's problem solving involved and there's a uh, you know it's, it's a web of traits that that make can, that make the dog yeah yeah I agree completely can I ask you sorry to interrupt you Kyle can I ask sure. you a, kind of an important question I think the listeners would really like to know uh, let's use a for instance. Let's say I got a bird dog for the holidays, and let's say I called him Ralph because I always want a bird dog called Ralph out of the uh, Warner Brother cartoons. Uh, morning, Ralph. Morning, Sam. That type thing. <laughs> and Ralph is a big part of grouse hunting in Michigan, the little town. But w- right now, February first, the dog is X amount of weeks old, and it's in my hands. What What are the important things? I I know we need to get him with a good trainer like you. But what can I do as the dog owner, puppy? Well, owner. I, I would I would say that if there's if there's a common denominator amongst breeders that have earned a good reputation, um, whether they're on the um, uh, the stage of you know um, competing in field trials for proving their stock and doing wild birds, or just just uh, you know, hunting wild birds, whatever whatever their platform and their standards are for for um, uh, for their selection process, I would I would hope that um, every good quality working dog breeder, uh, you know, or I said bird dog breeder, would agree that um, you should not have to be a superior handler for your dog to reach its genetic potential. Um, right. And that's 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 important because, um, you know, when we're talking about well, and all dogs are not created equal. You know, I mean, as breeders, we strive uh, to to make the very best dogs we can, obviously. But Mother Nature has her own way of deciding how genes go. Some breeding, some pairings end up being better than others, even though on paper it looks amazing. And, uh, you know, it just just depends. But once you get that puppy home. If we'll say, you know, uh, you know, you got a dog from uh, that fits you, you know, that that's important. You know, what do you hunt? How do you like to hunt? You know, um, do you have did you get it from a person that, uh, you know, shares in those interests and values? Right. So um, say you do all of that, um, you know, ultimately, you know, basic obedience, bird exposure, um, you know, will offer um uh, the education and the bond that, that you need to, to have a, you know, a feel good, successful first season with your pup. Um, I mean, with my own dogs, I, I actually now require it. Um, cause I, you know, because I do breed softer dogs, um, and they might be less forgiving, you know, with, uh, you know, depending upon some different traditional methods, uh, and novice handlers just making mistakes along the way. Right. You know, everybody that has their first bird dog, you know, um, you know, we make mistakes. Um, and, uh, trust me, you know, pro trainers can make mistakes too. They just might know everybody around them might know less, <laughs> you know, so they don't see when they're making mistakes sometimes. Um, you know, so, but it's important to be a good handler, the best handler you can. be. So, you know, I have a 
video series that I that I have my people uh, subscribe to to walk them through. That's a docu series. There's how to videos in there and everything um, with me raising my own Llewellyns and then a, a docu series in obedience, bird work, and retrieving. That's unedited, you know, mini videos that takes you through the whole journey up to the first season. Nice. Yeah, I saw and, that uh, several hundred that's, several hundred yeah, videos. That's, right. Yeah, that's been a godsend for for my people and. Uh, uh, and I'm here for them, you know, throughout their whole bird dog's life. But there's there's a there's a wealth of information in there. And for people, you know, that are getting dogs from the bird dogs. I mean, I think, you know, when you go to a breeder, you're going to you're going to um, invest your time and money into a dog. Um, you know, you should be kind of buying a breeder that's for the life of your dog, you know, and and you want to just make sure that, you know, your your breeder is there for you. And that, that, uh, so that's you know. a good point. One point is make sure your breeder is the right breeder and is there and will help beyond just selling you a dog. That's yeah. I mean, if they don't train, I mean, not all breeders are trainers, you know, um, they might not, they might, you know, not breed and train full time. They might have another job and they have one litter every few years or a few litters a year, you know, but if there's anything that, uh, if you're, if your breeder themselves cannot provide a training resource directly to you for your dog, uh, by all means, you know, um, they should have uh, a handful of resources um, around the country of trainers um, that they have, you know, had their dogs worked in or they know their reputation and, and can help uh, uh, facilitate um, uh, a pro trainer relationship uh, with you. Um, I guess the other thing I would say is if, um, uh, you know, in, in the in the in the big picture, um, you know, the, the the more the more you the more you're a planner the 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 more you stand a chance to success have success for your puppy and what i mean by that is i get so many people that they um you know they might be on my waiting list for a year or two and then you know the puppy comes they're over the moon they've been waiting for this day and they're thrilled and they're great people and the dog's gonna have a great life and i'm sure you're gonna be a great hunting dog but in terms of setting your pup up for success you know, uh, good trainers, like good breeders can have wait lists and have limited space. So they got this puppy they're caressing as I'm talking to them on puppy pickup day. And so they're asking me questions and, uh, you know, I'm answering them and, and then, uh, you know, they're asking me what, uh, you know, what trainers should I use? And I tell them, but I usually follow up with, well, I had 12 other people that got pups from this past breeding season asked me that question four months ago, you know, before the puppy was even born because your trainer, you know, high, more highly recommended trainers might not actually have space, might already have reservations, right. you know? So, yeah. so you want to, you want to plan ahead and then same thing, they come here and they know that I'm the pigeon guy until the first hunting season happens. And, you know, they pick up their puppy and they pick up their puppy like, yeah, I'm going to get my pigeon coop set up this weekend. You know, like, yeah, well, you might not be able to use the pigeons on this pup, depending upon <laughs> what your pigeon sources are, you know. So so um, to really, you know, you, if you have February 1st, a puppy in your hands, um, you know, let's just assume that uh, if you're dealing with a reputable breeder, you probably had six months to a couple of years of waiting to get that puppy and hopefully um you know, you've already kind of thought about your training resources and are pursuing the planning in that just like you did to get that puppy. Um, and uh, that's 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 really important. You know, so for those that 
don't have a puppy right now um, on February 1st, <laughs> you know, start hustling and, and get those. Uh, start planning. You know, yeah, start planning. I mean, planning is planning is key, you know. Hey, I got a question for you. Um, where are you located, just so our listeners know? Uh, in a good spot. <laughs> uh, uh, no, I'm in I'm in the Western UP. Okay, um, close and uh, close to Iron Mountain. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, I I hunt Northern Wisconsin a lot. Uh, do you um, now? Do you go get both licenses when you do that? Yeah. Or do, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, how, how much does uh, Wisconsin charge? Uh, oh God! People? Now you're gonna now you're gonna try to just uh, say it's a lot. Lie on my short term memory. It's not. It's not. <laughs> It's not bad. I mean, I'm coming from New York, where our where our resident oh. licenses are ridiculous. So, um, but uh, uh, I mean, Michigan's non-resident uh, that I had to pay for a number of years here. You know, um, yeah, it gets up there. We hear that from our guys it, in our camp. Yeah, it gets, yeah. it gets up there. But you know, I mean, there's uh, I can't complain. You know, I mean, I I logged 87 days and just shy of 500 hours of hunting uh, this season in Michigan and Wisconsin. So I I think the least the least i can do is uh yeah you start you know, breaking uh, it down by hour yeah. or mile it's really pennies so, yeah yeah you know so you got we got to support uh you know while you know we always have uh debates and arguments where all those funds go um, right hey maybe know. the up will leave and just join wisconsin and you're all set right well you know i'm sure you've know, heard the <laughs> scuttlebutt oh yeah, yeah. Know, so. <laughs> we, well we when we lived up in the up that was a movement, and it missed it by what one vote? Kevin? One vote in the state house. It, <laughs> wow! It was proposed by uh, Curly O'Neill. Uh huh. Was involved in that from yeah, Newberry. representative from representative, Central UB. I think that was his name. I met him. I knew him when I was a boy. He was yeah. one of Dad's great friends, yeah. and and it missed. The first step was the house, and it missed by one vote. And wow! Uh, it oh, probably wow. would have died after that. It would have died in Senate. Yeah, yeah I saw some. I saw some. There's a movement I, I've seen. Uh, you know, I think it includes the top one or two counties in Northern Lower and uh, like three counties in uh, Yeah, I saw that in, same uh, thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm like, oh, that might be interesting. <laughs> so, well, 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 the UP really is the best trade in the history of the world, you understand, because we trade it Toledo in a strip west of there, yeah. about a 20-mile strip for the whole UP. Yeah. <laughs> it was actually called the Toledo yeah. War. But uh-huh. <laughs> that, that, uh-huh. that's a darn good trade looking back. Yeah. It's a darn yeah. good trade. You, you betcha. Now, but, did you meet your uh, wife or girl? I don't even know if you're married. Wife, girlfriend in, in yes. the UP? Or? Nope. Nope. My wife, uh, I met my wife. Uh, she worked for um, a client of mine uh, as an animal manager back in New York. Um, she's from New Jersey originally. She's lived all over. She lives in California, Hawaii, um, uh, New York and New Jersey. And we had met, uh, in, you know, in New York, uh, uh, so we met nine years ago. We've been married now for, uh, uh, a few years and, uh, we have, uh, two daughters, oh. uh, Lacey and Sylvie. They're, uh, just about two and four now. And, oh, fun age. Um, yeah. Very, very fun age, and uh, I'm ecstatic that uh, uh, you know the upbringing that they'll get to have living here. And oh yeah! Again, I was I was so fortunate in New York at the time that I grew up there, and uh, um, you know I I just would not be able to provide the same type of outdoor upbringing that I was uh, fortunate to have. Um, well, you have a keeper of a wife to move to the Western UP because. Uh... Well, it's a le- little easier from upstate New York to the UP than from Alabama to the UP. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. We we and, used to uh, joke about that all the time. Even when 
Matt and I go hunting, we'd see these businesses and stuff and say, oh, they're gone. Well, you know, the Southern people don't make it through the first winter, but upstate New York, you got a, you got an idea what it's like, at least. Yeah, and so. I, I mean, I have a lot of Norwegian blood in me. I always say I just crank up my Norwegian, and you know, <laughs> there's, that, there's that Norwegian proverb, you know, the no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothes, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's so, so do you have any, uh, as far as your uh, business goes, do you have any uh, started dogs or litters coming along uh, this time of year right now? Well, yeah. So my my uh, I have a pretty strictly formulated like twelve month uh, schedule. Um, so for me, uh, you know, again, every breeder has their own own way in which they like to develop their dogs and perspectives on development. And for me, uh, you know, I I I have puppies. Uh, I breed my I breed my girls when when they come in the heat after September first. Um, so I could have potentially, uh, pups on the ground, uh, as early as November. Um, and, uh, the absolute latest, you know, I would breed them as March 1st, but I, I try not to have later than February whelpings. Um, so November, the April is when, uh, our breeding season is. Um, and so that's when our litters occur. So I want to have pups, you know, in their first season, um, six to 10 months, six to 11 months old. Um, and, uh, for me and the dogs that I select, uh, I'm really big on early development. That's, that's a crucial point for me. Um, I mean, I wash out, a I wash out a lot of dogs that, that end up being really nice grouse dogs at two and three years old. But, um, you know, as I've said in the past to others, uh, and in podcasts, even, you know, I, I, uh, I'm always looking for those first season superstars. And over the years I've gotten, you know, my washout rates have gone down a fair amount because you just get better at seeing, working backwards, seeing the dogs in terms of who develops how. Um, but I, I like that six to 10 month age bracket. Um, I actually, and when you have as many dogs as I do, they often will cycle together. Um, so I actually have four litters on the ground right now that were, oh, they're, wow. just, uh, they're just a couple, uh, they're seven to 12 days old right now. Oh, um, and that's, wow. that's me. It's a perfect age. I mean, they're going to be hitting, you know, the opening day here at a, just a, such a great sponge age. I mean, they'll have had their basic obedience in and, uh, they'll have seen, you know, 100, 150 pigeons. They'll have seen some grouse and, um, we'll be rocking and rolling. I mean, they'll are, be, they'll are be those dogs all spoken for? Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're, okay. They're, uh, they're, uh, long spoken you know, for. Yeah. They're all spoken for, uh, for this breeding season. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, so the timing is, is pretty, uh, crucial for me. And usually what I do is I, I hold back, uh, uh, depends on what my training schedule looks like for dogs coming back in for training for the year. Um, but, uh, I'll usually hold on to maybe three, maybe five dogs that I'll do a started dogs and, so I'll handpick, uh, usually more times than not, they're females. Um, I'll, I'll handpick, uh, uh, those for the ones that I like. I don't have a crystal ball like everybody else, but, um, you know, you get to know what you like. And for me, uh, you know, the pups that have, uh, that intelligent eye that, um, uh, are as much or more human centric as they are litter mate centric, um, when they're in the little romp time, uh, and ones that, love to retrieve and come back with like their ears down looking at you saying, you know, is this what you want? Um, those, those are the dogs. Those are the dogs out of my lines of dogs that, uh, 
very often grow up to be the type of grouse dog that I I prefer to, to nice. hunt over and behind. And so I hold on to those. And then usually, again, I'll uh, like these pups that I got all my started dogs will for this um, from this breeding season are coming from these litters now. And they'll go to uh, they'll be released Labor Day weekend. Um, and, uh, you know, I have that video series I had mentioned earlier. And right. there'll be uh, video updates of all those dogs in training that the buyers will get to, to watch. Um, and then I'll I'll probably keep, you know, the one I like the most um, to run it through its first season here. And if they make the cut, then they'll stay and be entered in the program. And the other dogs, which I'm sure will be just fine bird dogs, will uh, be picked up by their new families, you know, Labor Day weekend and ready to go. There you um, go. Nice. You know, do you ever, uh, take on, uh, issues or problem dogs? Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. Not, not anymore. anymore. I, Come on, I, man. I, I, I paid my dues. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I paid my dues, boy. Um, I, I got a little issue with, for, uh, with my low Allen. Sure. Um, you know, I mean, you know, I do, you know, I do, um, uh, for more local, you know, driving ability, you know, I do, I still do private lessons. Yeah. You know, yeah. Mine, mine I, was I uh, do, my issue, not my dog's issue. So, uh, operator error. Uh, yeah. Oh. Well, that's, that's usually the case. Even the, even the dogs, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, all the genetic potential in the world, um, you know, you don't need to be a great handler, but like I said, you know, we, uh, we're human beings. We make mistakes. And, yeah. Well, uh, I'll just tell you my mistake. Uh, I got this dog out of Alabama when I was living in south of Atlanta in Georgia. And um, I was part of a, uh, a hunting club, a farm there, kind of like what you, you had going on in New York. Similar. Yeah. Um, but they were all quail down there. And uh, so she got ruined on quail. So she stays right on the trail because she knew where all the, after like three times there, she's like, I know where the birds are already, you know. <laughs> so we kept them in, in pens and went out and set them up and they had, we had feeders so they'd be all at the feeders usually so she would just walk along with me until the feeder and then she'd go on point and like okay dad i did my job so now we moved to michigan and it's just harder getting her off the trail so yeah she she's figuring it out though she's only been here is this her second season kevin yeah yeah, your second season she yeah. she actually turns around and looks at you and makes you take the first step off the trail yeah then, she, then she'll go then she'll go <laughs> she's like, yeah you go i'll yeah. go <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah hey can i ask you as we get near the end here kyle uh, a question i've been wanting to ask we've been working on getting a veterinarian on um about dog care in general and this mm-hmm. kind of goes from your vet tech background through Paint River and all your wonderful experiences in the sport and with dogs. Um, we had a lot of questions last fall about dog care while you're hunting. You go to bird camp. Mm-hmm. What, what are your thoughts? And, and a little bit off what you're doing now, but definitely vet tech, you, you probably have a grasp of this. Of What should you have with you? How do you prepare it, um, from yeah, so from packing um, to getting the truck to leaving, and what what do you need for a dog in the field? What would you like to see? Sure. Well, I guess I would I would preface uh, my answer response with you can never have too much. Um, you know, it's one of those things where you better better to at least have it in your in your in your truck. Um, uh, so uh, you know, if you don't need it, that's great. But I would say most people, you know. I don't want to say most, but a lot of people are underprepared. Um, but, uh, honestly for, I've been so fortunate, um, with all the hunting that, that I do every year. Um, 
the the extent of the injuries knock on wood have have not been terrible i mean i had my fair share in new york of we're hunting old farmland so we got barbed wire you know uh you know that's grown into these old trees and like you know colonial type settings and you think about hunting grouse in new england you know and so that's that's a big hazard that happens we got our hawthorn groves you know and dogs get you know uh mm-hmm. that issue and you know up here too we get our our blow down in our slash that dogs sometimes get stabbed uh you know and all that kind of jazz but uh, i guess in a nutshell i mean what's in what's in my what's in my med kit um about 500 rolls of vet wrap <laughs> um yeah. Uh, non-stick gauze pads, uh, uh, I got thermometer, you know, pliers for, uh, you know, uh, uh, traps. Uh, I have, um, I use a lot of, um, uh, while I'm all for, you know, Western medicine stuff with antibiotics and anti-inflammatories, I, I do tend to use, uh, for lacerations and stuff. I mean, I have staple guns, um, that, that I do have. I have a good pair of, uh, clippers, um, for shaving um but i also have some more like homeopathic type things i use colloidal silver gel has saved me tens of thousands of dollars in laceration repairs um that's just uh outstanding stuff that i hmm. i personally use you know no no vet you go to unless it's you know holistic vet is going to ever recommend that but um uh you know that that stuff's just outstanding i'll mix that with some calendula salve um that's usually how i'm treating my my wounds that i don't staple um you know, I'll put all that stuff on a nonstick gauze pad and wrap that with uh, uh, vet wrap or equivalent, um, and uh, that takes care of most of my 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 dings and my my cuts that that uh, I have to deal with that way. Um, what about hyd- hydration? Do you? Uh... I I'll use uh, glycocharge. You know, yeah, that's so, uh, what I was figuring. Uh, yeah, I for do, the for I the do. listeners, glycocharge is very similar to your electrolyte drinks. Yeah, yeah. So I use I use glycocharge in the squirt bottle. I don't necessarily wait until after the hunt. You know, it's just uh, I mean, I'm de- I'm generally hunting near some type of water that the dogs have access to, um, but certainly you know I I always have some water on me. So whether they're drinking it during or after the right. hunt, um, you know, and I there's different things. You know, I'm not a I'm not a person to put a dog down twice in a day. Um, you know, I. I they run their they run their day and that's and that's it whether they run an hour you know or two and a half or three you know that i don't put them back you know i think some injuries happen that way too because once that body you know cools down and stuff um you know you, you, yeah, it's, it's not uh, it's not ready to that's when you get into stuff. your mcl injuries and that when yeah that's, that's when i say you know stressed, you, right you need another dog you need another dog if, if that's you, know, you find yourself in that mm-hmm. situation a lot um and of and course I run my uh, dogs a lot so of course know, a, to, a first aid kit is something everybody should carry which you've already described yeah yeah and you know so certainly i have day to dine alcohol um you know i think uh i mean depends on where you are and how long you're there but like for me especially living here and and you know, spending 60 to 90 days hunting here in the past, you know, I, you know, I had a good relationship with my vet, you know, I always have some doxycycline on hand, you know, like, uh, you know, take, you know, take temperature, you know, you know, your dog's not eating and up here we certainly have, you know, our fair share of ticks, you know, so, um, there's so many tick-borne diseases today that can present very similarly, you know, and, you know, so you might be able, you know, when you're in the middle of nowhere and, you know, 100 or 300 miles from, from a vet and maybe thousands of miles from your vet, um, you might be able to, you know, 
self-medicate a little bit um, and do no harm and maybe very much help your dog until you can get it to a veterinarian for stuff like that. Well, and you're probably, I, I worked in the uh, animal health pharmaceutical field for a long time, so I'm familiar sure. with the vet techs, but uh, the prevent tech collar. Um, yeah, the, uh, uh, to, and then, you know, to cut the, the end of it off and put it in the bag and you get a tick on the mm -hmm. dog, it'll drop right off if you set it on mm -hmm. it. You know, there, there's yeah. just all these nice little clues and hints that people don't know. But Sure, sure. Cool. Hemostats, good to have a pair of hemostats, right. you know, for getting dogs getting quilled. And, um, you know, and the other thing while we're talking, we talk about what's in a med kit all the time. But, and a lot of these dogs, um, I mean, my dogs, despite their softness, it's funny, you know, I bred these military grade shepherds for a decade. But they were bred to get shot five times and take down the perp, and they were real drama queens when they got injured. The Llewellyns, you know, they'll just stand there, you know, and, uh, you know, they'll just let you staple them up, and they're they're pretty stoic despite their soft, sensitive nature. <laughs> you want to be, um, be a little careful with those shepherds doing that. You know, yeah. <laughs> Every yeah, vet tech uh, in the world knows that. <laughs> I, I, I say all that um, because something that I do with all my dogs um, in the note of first aid is I role play stuff, you know, as far as the training process, you know, so in the summer months and they're young and stuff and they're learning to do sit stay and they're learning to do woe and stuff like that. You know, I wrap their legs, I cut their nails, I squeeze their feet, I examine them like, like I'm looking to make sure they got no quills in their mouth and everything. I, I do that. That's kind of just woven into, you know, uh, the training program, I guess. So, yeah. you know, in, invariably when they do get injured, um, you know, you want a dog that, you know, some are naturally going to be incredibly tolerant and good patients. Others are not. And, um, you know, I think, uh, you can, you can, uh, very easily, uh, train your dog to be a better patient. And depending upon the type of injury or where that laceration is, uh, you know, doing that, you know, desensitizing and role playing can, significantly impact you know maybe right. how, how well you were able to staple that wound you know or mm -hmm. you know you know uh how how easily it was for you to be able to wrap it i mean my dogs and i have elasticon also I'll, I'll you know i'll do the you know whatever substance i'm putting on for healing properties the non-stick pad the vet wrap and then usually top you know top of the you know halfway up the leg where the wrap ends i'll i'll put the uh elasticon which is kind of like veterinary uh gorilla tape um, and then I'll put the, uh, I'll put it around the foot as well. And, and I bring bandage scissors with me in the field. And if the dogs are getting it wet, you know, or whatnot, that doesn't good for, for healing. So I can change the bandage, you know, in a matter of two minutes, you know, with the dog just being incredibly cooperative in the field, you know, so I can redress that and keep on hunting with that dog. And, and, uh, so I think there's there's benefits to right to training, to training first aid in your dog. Now, are you um, tied into the veterinarian network in your area? Uh, oh boy, isn't that a, uh, a, a challenge? Uh, the, the short answer is I'm working on it. Okay. Uh, when people ask me, uh, if I miss New York, I always say only my vet. <laughs> Who, who's your vet? Uh, who is your and vet? if you're listening, Dr. Cody, I do miss you, but, um, I'm, uh, I'm getting to know people, uh, you know, you know, youpers, you know, um, you know, Friday's not really a work day and we, we, you know, <laughs> we don't really, we don't really, uh. <laughs> Friday, Friday is a work day when it's not summer, snowmobile season, fishing, hunting, <laughs> exactly, uh, kayaking, <laughs> canoeing, or just going to exactly, the beach. You know, so but you can have any other Friday to work in there. <laughs> yeah, we, we actually have a clinic opening up here uh, in March, which I'm looking forward to seeing how that turns out. But there's several small clinics in 
one direction that uh you know they'll open up like they're open like every other day and not the weekend and then there's another clinic's open on the other days but if you have an emergency right now um the the reason i was asking kyle is we're in underway trying to get now you've answered a lot of our questions today being a vet tech but we're trying to get a good veterinarian that grouse hunts on um that well, I, I mean, I could certainly... Uh, well, if you know somebody, that'd be great, because we just want to oh, go absolutely. through the preparation and what to look for. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Because, uh, actually, unfortunately, as you probably know, a lot of bad things happen to dogs in the field. Always. And, yeah. um, not a lot, but on a state scale. I'm sure there's yeah, several yeah. dog accidents, but we're kind of searching. If you think of somebody, just let us know. That'd be great, but yeah, you've helped a lot. Um, one thing I, I do encourage you to do right now, Kyle, is this is not shameless. This is the right thing. Tell us how to tell everybody how to get a hold of you at Paint Rivers and mention all your social media too, please. And your sure. podcast, yeah. And your podcast, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, if you're interested in reaching out to me, um, you know, my social media, I'm on Facebook and Instagram, uh, both at uh, Paint River Llewellyn's. Um, I have a website, PaintRiverLlewellyn's.com. Uh, there you can. Uh, get to know me and the dogs better um, and learn more about the program. Uh, always happy to spend some time on the phone with people that are curious about the breed and, and how I do things. Uh, I do have a podcast uh, that I uh, try to have episodes uh, here and there. Uh, it's called Setter Talk. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, uh, pl- main platform is on Anchor, but it's available on all podcast platforms. And we talk about everything uh, bird dog related, um, but I, I, uh, I have guests that uh, either, you know, they have setters or were tied to setters. And, um, uh, yeah, we talk setters. So, yeah, excellent. Um, That's a very good podcast. I really enjoyed the last one with the, uh, the falconry on it. That was very yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yep. No, we try, to, we try to keep it interesting. Right before you called, I was joking with my brother saying I'm showing up to our bird camp next year with a falcon and nothing else. Just a falcon. <laughs> just me and my underwear and a falcon. I've always wanted to do it. I've always, I always Seems Always cool. You guys to, thought you were good with your dogs and guns. Watch this. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> but, right. But that's no, right. Uh, it's been great talking to you, Kyle. I've learned a lot. One thing I'd like for the listeners to point out is Lou Allen's is spelled L-L-E-W-E-L-L-I-N-S. And as a journalism yep. guy, I would not have got that. So I want to mention that yeah. so when they search for you, they know L-L-E-W-E-L-L-I-N-S, Paint River Lou Allen's. Yep, named after yep. Robert Lou Allen. Oh, really? Yeah. What's the history of that real quick? Really? You know, put me on the spot? No, we'll do, it. we'll do it later. That's who uh, started the lineage of the breeding. I believe he was in England. Is that right? Kyle, do you know? Yeah, I mean, Llewellyn's a Welsh name. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, essentially, for all intents and purposes, you know, I'm not a – well, I have Llewellyn's, and that's the line of dogs that have, uh, uh, you know, been my inspiration and the dogs that fit me best. You know, they're – Llewellyn setters are, are a particular strain of English setter, you know. Right. Um, and I read and, the whole uh, history of where it came from, but it was like 10 yeah. years ago, and I don't remember. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, no. no. I mean, you know, most uh, most English setter lines, you know, all have, uh, you know, the Llewellyn uh, lines in them at some point or another in history. But, yeah. um, you know, it's uh, it's just – they're English setters of a, of a particular strain, and uh, – um, you know, it's that that could be that's a whole nother uh, podcast. Right, right. Everybody it, has their opinion. Itself, and you know? I, I'm a Low Island guy myself. I've had two, and I don't think I'll ever change. So I think yeah. they're great dogs. Well, it yeah. looks like you had a great thing going. Welcome to Michigan. Welcome to the UP. Let me help you with a couple of UP things before we close it down, Kyle. <laughs> From where we grew up, which is as far 
from you as the bridge is from Detroit in the in the UP still you're referred to as up the line so if we were talking about Paint River we'd be talking it's up the line in the UP uh-huh. so, so there's some uh-huh. there's a little point there for you to help they you go back from like railroad or something the Sioux line you were up uh, the line up or the down line. the okay. line uh-huh the eastern yeah, up uh-huh. was down the line um uh-huh. so you can impress your up does that have friends. to do with the elevation change or is that a little bit because okay. the western is where the porcupines are right, it's right, a little right. higher so there, there's a little thing to impress your uh, neighbors with there you yeah. actually can speak the language a little bit <laughs> But, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, if you ever get if you ever get west of Escanaba, you know I'm pretty much from West Escanaba, you know, to Minnesota and Wisconsin. You know, that's that's, uh, that's ma- a I'm lot actually, of my stomping grounds. Might have to come swing by and uh, get in touch with you. I'm just starting to think about mm-hmm. spring break and maybe coming up to the Porcupines. So, mm-hmm. but that's up towards your area. So I, I just uh, we really appreciate you coming on. It was a wealth of information. It looks like a great kennel and. Uh, Look like yeah, the dogs are handled correctly, which we always want to see. So, um, anything in uh, closing you'd like to say, Kyle? No, I uh, appreciate you having me on the show, and uh, you know, good luck uh, with all your guys' endeavors, and uh, look forward to listening. Thanks. Appreciate all right, we'll be listening to your podcast as well. Thanks, Kyle. All right, great. Thank you. All right, have a good one. Yeah, you too. See ya. Hey, we're back at Bird Camp for the next segment, and we have a kind of a special segment to my brother and I today. We have Ron McNeil on from Big Smoke Barbecue, and Big Smoke is located up in the Roscoe and Grayling area, and Ron is going to take us all the way through it here. So uh, when did the business start, Ron? We started the business in uh, 2000, and the, the very latter part of 2019, we actually didn't get our first location uh, permanent location until uh, March of 2020. Uh, but we were doing different events and different shows from the latter part of 19 up until March uh, 2020. Yeah, we were just talking off air that brother and I found you guys a few years ago um, on Shut the Camp Down last night at camp. And we had driven all the way from the UP back to the Grayling area, got off on four mile road to start tracking back to our camp. And knowing we had to shut the camper down and get everything ready. And most importantly for us, as uh, bird camp is about, we wanted to have a fire that night and sit around. And we got off and not knowing what we're going to eat. And I'm thinking I've got to cook and it's going to take an hour. And there was big smokes right there on four mile road. And Ron, it was like yes, the heavens opened up and the choir started singing and we set up. You on hadn't the, even had the food yet. At that point, oh, the so. food was so good. It I was think, good. I think I had your trio, trio uh, combo plate. Yeah, we both had the same thing. Sure. The combo plate and the dog got some free food out of it. Yeah, and the dog oh, went yeah, after we, the brisket. We special care of, uh, <laughs> of our friendly animals. We're, we're an animal lover. And I don't know if it was you or one of the employees, but he actually came out when they brought the food out as we were sitting on the picnic table. And we were kind of, that was pre-COVID, we were thankful. Ron, that you know, we we didn't have to go in a restaurant because we didn't smell very good, obviously. <laughs> you know, yeah, walk, walking 10 miles camp, a day, yeah. And <laughs> and uh, they came out and said, What are you guys hunting? And we had a good conversation with one of the staff there, I don't know who it was, but yeah. um, so we have a passion for you guys. So, um, Let's so see, you it. it's kind of a I don't want to demean it, but it's a food truck, yes, sir. That, you know, uh, so explain to us, a food truck. We we sir, the way I tell people is. We're a food truck with uh, top restaurant quality food. So you, you, you'll, our food is as good as you're going to get at any of the top restaurants around. 
And, and it, uh, barbecue, is that the right word? Is Texas barbecue? Is that what Texas you Texas style barbecue. I'll tell you real quick what that means. Texas style means basically two major important points. The first being is that when we smoke our meats, uh, it's done with oak. Traditional Texas smoke is done with uh, what they call the aged uh, post oak wood. It just means that it's oak that's been aged for a long time. So that's the one big difference between us and a lot of people uh, and what makes it authentic Texas. The the um, other part of that is we let the meat do the talking. So our meats are salt and peppered only. Uh, that is the traditional Texas method. We don't do a lot of rubs. We don't get into all that flavors. Uh, the meat speaks for itself. And, and as you've tried it, it's good. No, I'm thinking back a few years, but brisket. Yeah, um, that's our big seller. People bris- come from all over the state. To get it. What were the, what were some of the other ones? I, I'm having trouble remembering what we I do. Uh, brisket. We do a really great pulled chicken. Our pulled pork. Pulled we're pork. actually uh, the pulled pork is about <laughs> six to eight months away from being on retail shelves. Uh, oh, really? Stores. Excellent. Yeah, we've been working working with a co-packer out of uh, South Dakota, so that's the next next avenue for the business. But uh, yeah, our pulled pork's awesome. Brisket people come all over from, but pulled chicken, cornbread. You know, we do a, a barbecue baked beans. We got it all, man. We got it yeah, all. yeah. I, I think I had the pulled pork and the brisket, and the side dishes were phenomenal. And uh, yeah, a lot of times with barbecue places, the side dishes aren't that great, but the meat's good. No, you, no, you guys they, nailed it on every front. And yes, sir. Thank you. And so, tell tell us your locations. I, I know they move in around, but tell us because grouse hunters and you said you hunt it when you were young. Is that correct, Ron? Still do. We we live on uh, the back of our property. Is got a couple thousand of state land, oh. acres of state land, and so I've always, from a little kid, grown up pheasant grouse hunting, and and just loved it. I last couple of years, obviously because of the business, I haven't had much chance to go out and do that. But I'm an avid hunter, deer hunter, and and bird hunter, so oh, we love it. But our uh, our locations, we have one at the uh, what they call. The four mile exit that's right before Grayling. It's uh, famously known for Charlie's Country Corner, which is a major truck stop. Right. So as soon as you pull in, we have a mini cabin. It's called the Smoke Shack. That's the one we uh, went to. Right. Yep. And uh, we got one there. We just opened up a new one about three months ago over on the west side of Higgins Lake. That's called Big Smoke West. You can see it on our website at bigsmoke.com. That's S M O Q U E.com. Right. Um, so that's our two locations. And like I had mentioned, uh, we also have a third location. That's just the summer months inside the North Higgins Lake state park. Uh, that runs, you know, from just, you know, your summer months. Hey Ron, did you say North Higgins Lake state park? Correct. So okay. I, I wanted to make sure park. we got that right. Because those yeah. three locations are all location grouse hunters would know. They, we pass yeah. right by there. We do a tremendous amount of driving to grouse hunt. Obviously we, I'm we, sure, we yeah. don't all have your blessing to walk out the door and hunt. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. so I want everybody to know where those are. Our highest recommendation for bird camp, great food, quick, easy. And all the unfortunate things of COVID-19 probably been good for your business. The way you're set up, I would imagine. Yeah, we, we've done pretty good. I, I, I feel a lot of, you know, I, I care for a lot of the people that have restaurants. I know them, and so I want them to do good. We've done okay because we're a takeout. We we have a large catering side of the business. That's suffered quite a bit because you can't have indoor. Uh, you can't right. do weddings indoors and these events. But in terms of the, the food business on the takeout, yeah, we, we've done pretty good. Too, so. Excellent. Excellent. And I know, you know, we were up north this fall hunting, and, a lot of our old haunts are gone and it's kind of sad. You know, my brother yeah. and I've been doing yeah. this for decades and we pull in and go, 
oh, I won't mention the big one, but we go, oh, no, it's not here. You know, and yeah. so the yeah. last thing bird hunters want is, make, oh, I can't say, the, I shouldn't say, is fast food. And that, that yeah. you know, we want, we need the protein and the calories, and that's what you have. Sure. Wonderful food. Well, that's great, Ron. I wanted to make sure and get the news out there um, and look into fall. And uh, when uh, the hunters come up, I'm sure they'll be looking for you. So and it's great. Yeah, we're, we're I'm, year, I'm glad your northern Michigan business is doing well. That's, that, yes, you sir. know, I'm a youper. By, my brother and I both are. And, Grew up up there, but it's great to see those northern Michigan businesses hanging. Because we know this year in hunting, Matt, we had trouble finding food sometimes. Yeah, we did. Unfortunately, we carry coolers and everything, but we're not going to starve. But it was a whole different thing we weren't even prepared for. But you're doing well, and we appreciate it. It's a great business. Well, we appreciate you guys stopping in. We we love to see hunters. I I have so many people that come through, and they show me pictures on their phone of the birds they got, the deer they shot. and It's just a great atmosphere. We, We love the hunters that come through. I'm a hunter, and it's a, it's a great population of people. Well, good, good. Any other messages for us? Just come and try the food. It's I think it's the best person you're going to get in the state. I might be partial to it because I own the business, but that's what I think. <laughs> uh, the fu- funny thing is, is our, our our big group is full of foodies. You would not disappoint these guys at all because your food's yeah. that good. We're really outstanding, well, we and, and it's good to know you're going to be there in the in the right. roadsides there. And yeah. we just want to get that out. So we appreciate you come on. And uh, thank you for having me. You, you know the Northern Michigan thing. Keep your eyes to the northwest in February because you never know when it's coming your way, right? So yes, um, the weather down here has been pretty mild this winter, but it can end. So, but Ron McNeil, big smoke. Uh, the location in Ross Common, Summer, North Higgins Lake uh, Park, and then the one we know well, which is on Four Mile Road in Grayling, just east of Fox River Golf Club or Fox Run Golf Club. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Right and down the road. Right, right on that corner there. So uh, we look forward to talking to you again, and you'll certainly see us this fall. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Ron. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to enter the knife contest, check it out at Patreon forward slash BirdCamp. Leave us some feedback, which we would appreciate. Our email is mi.birdcamp at gmail.com. Check us out on our social media platforms. We're on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for BirdCamp. Our website is www.birdcamp.net. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next show. See ya.